Well, welcome to Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. And as you know, we're currently studying the book of Romans. And in chapter 8, we're taking quite a bit of time in chapter 8. And so far in Romans, we've talked a lot about the gift of justification. And then we started talking about the process of sanctification. Both are part of God's plan for us. Both are part of really his great salvation that he purchased for us at the cross. Justification, that refers to how we have been declared righteous. And it's a gift. We receive it by faith. And it's something that by the gift of justification, we receive eternal life. So sometimes people talk about the gift of eternal life or really it's the, really the gift of justification. And that happens at a particular point in time instantly. On the other hand, sanctification is a process. It's a process of being transformed into the image of Jesus, becoming holy. Okay, so last week in Romans 8, we talked a lot about how we are called to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And that's really a very important topic because many of us, uh, you know, we, we, we've truly been born again, regenerated, received that gift of justification. But when it comes to that sanctification, we get stuck at different places and Part of the reason is because we have developed patterns or habits of walking according to the flesh rather than walking according to the spirit. So um, now we know um, that when we receive the gift of justification, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And he was given in order that we would be able to live out or walk out this Christian life. So learning to walk in the Spirit, and today we're going to introduce being led by the Spirit, is absolutely necessary for spiritual growth. It's necessary for us to bear fruit. It's necessary for us to be able to glorify Him on earth. Actually, to experience everything that He has for us. Now, the opposite of walking according to the Spirit is what? walking according to the flesh. Uh, We also saw last week that setting our minds on the things of the Spirit is necessary for us to walk according to the Spirit. Likewise, if we're constantly walking or setting our minds on the things of the flesh, we will never be able to walk according to the Spirit. So Romans 8, verses 12 through 17, let's read it. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so it starts off in verses 12 and 13. Let me just read that again. So then we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Why? For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So according to the flesh, walking according to the flesh, let's say it again. We've probably said it for three or four weeks now. Uh, It's living in our own strength, in our own abilities, trying to please God in ourselves, in our own strength. And uh, there's something about us, even after we've received the gift of justification, which we know is by grace, that somehow we deceive ourselves into thinking, I have to do something for God. I can please him. And of course, the message in Romans 7, remember, is I can't do it. I can't please him. Not in the flesh anyway. And by the way, the result is that many Truly born-again people, they just give up in frustration. I mean, they might not give up on God, but they just give up on trying to live that Christian life. The flesh, we all contend with the flesh in this lifetime. And the flesh is weak. It's going to get us into trouble. Uh, Matthew 26 is probably a it's kind of a classic verse on Uh, The flesh, and this takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus and the disciples are praying. Well, Jesus is praying. The disciples are sleeping, actually. And and he comes back, you know, several times and kind of, you know, finds them sleeping. And then he says in verse 41, keep watching and praying so that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think we probably all have experienced that where the spirit's willing, you know, there's something inside of me. I want to obey. I want to follow. I want to walk in his ways, but the flesh is just too weak. Now we saw back in Romans six, verse six, that the old self was crucified with Christ, but our flesh is still alive at least in this lifetime. And so somehow we've got to learn to live with it. In fact, maybe more specifically, we've got to learn to let the spirit rule over it. And this is really where the battle is for a lot of Christians, you know, is uh, for those who are really seeking to live a godly, God-glorifying life is letting the spirit reign over or rule over our flesh and not letting the flesh have its own way. So, um, so in verses 13 and 14, this is, we're still in Romans, uh, eight here for, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit, you're putting to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. And then it goes on and says, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. So the point here is not, just not to walk in the flesh is beginning to let the spirit of God live and rule in our lives. Because remember, 
God's spirit lives inside of us once we receive that gift of justification. Now it's letting the spirit rule in our life. You know, I, I, I kind of like verse square where it says, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Literally, that means we have a great debt. And what debt is that? Well, the, the, the debt that we have is Jesus has done so far, so much for us. And he died in order to set us free. And so our response is, we want to live for him now, you know. So it's by the spirit. And by the way, that's a key part of it. We are to put to death the deeds of the body. Or you could also say the deeds of the flesh. Let's, let's kind of look at some other places that talk about this. And probably verses that maybe we're more familiar with. One would be in Luke 9. Verse 23, and this Jesus actually repeats this to his disciples on, in several different contexts uh, a number of times. So we can kind of assume that this is a major part of what he would often tell his disciples. So verse 23, it says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and Follow me. In other words, we have to learn to deny ourselves. Or maybe the way Romans 8 would say it, we must learn to deny our, what? Our flesh, right? Second Corinthians chapter 4 kind of says it maybe even a little bit more clear. Chapter 4, starting in verse 10, it says, Always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being deliver, de- delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So he's talking about the flesh there. So death works in us, but life in you. So it's not just denying ourselves, but it's letting the flesh die. And the picture here is that as our flesh dies, then the spirit of God can kind of rise up and be the one that lives through us. But the flesh has to die in order to do that, right? And for his life to shine through us. So we've got to learn to deny ourselves, our flesh. We learn to say no. First Corinthians, or no, first John chapter two, I think probably gets more specific here. It says, uh, uh, verses 15 and 16, he's talking about do not loving the world. And of course the world is not talking about the people in it or God's creation because God loves the world. He loves the people. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, right? But the world's system, the way of doing things, the, the, the things of the flesh, we are to reject. And it says here, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, see this, it's, it's the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. 
So those are the things that we need to be saying no to and denying ourselves. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. So in other words, uh, you know, I may, I may have good intentions. I want to get up early in the morning and I want to spend an hour with the Lord studying his word. And in the morning, what happens? My flesh cries out, oh, let me sleep. I need more sleep. I want to sleep. And so there's a battle. And so there's a what? A denial of self or maybe like letting that flesh die in order that I would get up and be able to what? Spend some time with the Lord. Uh, it works in other things. You know, uh, someone says something really mean to me and my mind ex- immediately comes up with a great comeback and my flesh says, let it rip. Kind of tell this person exactly the way it is, you know, tell them the truth, you know, and, uh, and, but we know also that the spirit is saying exercise, self-control, be compassionate, uh, love. That's what I've called you to Mike. And so what happens? I have to be able to say no to the flesh. I have to deny flesh. And really, every day we have opportunities to deny flesh. And, um, and of course, we can only do it by the Spirit, right? Because it says, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh or the deeds of the body. So it has to be God's Spirit that helps us. And, uh, and it's really, it's a way of walking that we have to begin to live in. Now, when we talk about walking, how does walking start? It starts off with what? It starts off with people taking steps, right? And as people take steps, then, you know, and, and well, you take an example of a baby, you know, they take a few steps and they fall. Then they take a few more and then take another fall. Well, that's what we've got to learn to do in our walk of denying self. We deny self. We deny self again. Then what happens? We fall, but we get back up and we do it again. And gradually we begin to walk in the spirit and not according to the flesh. Now, one of the things it says in verse 14, we're back in Romans 8, for all those who are being led by the spirit of God these are sons of God. Um, being led by the Spirit. Um, you've probably noticed that here in Romans 8, or if we were to go to Galatians 5, which we kind of looked at last week a little bit, there's three phrases. There's living by the Spirit, there's walking by the Spirit, and there's being, there's being led by the Spirit. And I know some people say, well, they're all interchangeable. Well, no, they're really not. You know, uh, there is overlap, of course, but living by the spirit is when God's spirit comes into my life and all of a sudden he breathes life into it. I'm living by the spirit of God. Walking by the spirit is what we've been talking about, where, you know, I'm living my life according to what the spirit's telling me. And then being led by the spirit is maybe takes it even a step further. Once we start walking, then we can start being led by the Spirit. And what does that mean? That means I'm led by the Spirit in what I do, 
what I say, what I think, how I respond to people, to whom I speak, how I speak, where I go, what I listen to. You know, it goes on and on. The idea is that we're to be guided or led by the Spirit in everything. That's our goal. Our goal isn't just to be justified and have eternal life, have my sins forgiven. I'll go to heaven one day and then now I need to just get back to living my life for myself. No, that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to be sanctified, to be set apart for him, be set apart for his glory. And uh, and we can't do that without being led by the Spirit. Okay. The next few verses, you know, it talks about these are sons of God's, sons of God, for you have not received, verse 15, a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so one of the things that we see in Romans 8 and other places in the New Testament too, there seems to be a distinction between children of God and sons of God. There are actually two different Greek words here, although I know there's a lot of Spanish speakers who are listening to this, and Spanish they, even though it's two words, they just kind of translate it one word. And I feel like that's probably an example where uh, the, the fullness of the message doesn't really come across. Technon is the Greek word used for children. It's used primarily in the context of new believers, those who are newly born. Ulos originally was kind of reserved for the Son of God, but all of the apostolic writers also began to use it for us too. Sons of God, literally meaning those who are mature. And of course, when I say sons of God, um, you know, uh, Greek is a language sort of like Spanish where the masculine form of that plural includes feminine as well. So we could say sons of God, we could say sons and daughters of God, you know might be a little bit easier for English speakers to understand. So techna, which is the singular form of technon, refers to those who are born of God, genuinely. And uio means, that's the singular form of hulos, refers to those who are beginning to show maturity as sons and daughters. See, God is calling us to be sons and daughters, led by the Spirit, because it said, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God's, sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. And and even in, in our physical, in the physical world, as a, you know, when a baby is born, I mean, I know sometimes they say, oh, he looks just like his father, he looks just like his mother, but, you know, really it's as they start growing that that uh, likeness becomes more pronounced, right? And certainly, when you move away from the physical things in mannerisms, how they act, how they respond, even expressions, you know, work, you know, uh, they become more like their parents. And so, sons of God 
refers to our growing with him in his mannerisms, in his priorities, how we see, how we talk. And God has called us to do that. Now, also here it says, and we're going to talk more about this in the next session, but I just want to kind of just introduce this. It says here that before there was a spirit of slavery over us, slavery to sin, slavery to the law, slavery to the flesh. But we don't have to stay there. And because now we've received a spirit of adoption and we begin to act like we've been truly adopted. We are sons. There's that Abba father relationship that he brings us into. Now, the other thing that we can kind of see here that we will kind of uh, begin to see a little bit more in the next session is how we are called to be children. Then we're called to be sons. And then he says heirs, you know, and it's pretty much in that order. You know, we, we're heirs because we are sons. And, and usually an inheritance is not just given to little children, is it? It's reserved to sons and daughters. And that's exactly the case here. When we think of heirs, what's the first thing we think of? Or when we think of inheritance, we usually kind of think of what? Oh, yeah, really? What do I get? You know, how much? When? You know, and those are good questions. And it sort of strikes me as kind of interesting that maybe it's because Christians were so self-absorbed that when we read about our inheritance in Christ, we don't even know what he's talking about sometimes. And we don't even really seem to be all that interested. But it's all through the scriptures. Okay, so, so let's just look at a couple of verses. Ephesians 1.14. And we're just going to look at these really carefully. It says, um, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a pledge of our inheritance. Acts 20. And I'm just mentioning just a few verses. I could do a lot more. I just want you to see that, yeah, this is a major theme in the New Testament. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God in the word of his grace, who is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. By the way, it's kind of interesting that the inheritance is given to those who are sanctified, you know, are walking in the spirit. You know, uh, Acts 26, verse 18, we see this again. It says, uh, to open their eyes so that they may turn away from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Again, there is an inheritance being reserved for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse um, 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Chapter 3, verse 24. He says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Revelation chapter 21. They're still talking about this inheritance. 21, verse 7. It says, uh, 
He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I'll be his God, and he will be my son. Now, next session, next week, we want to look a little bit more about this inheritance. Uh, We're not going to do a thorough study on that, but I would really suggest that you do, because God has, he's reserved an an inheritance that we will share together. And it also says in here in Romans 8 that we are co-heirs with Christ. So what are we saying here? We are children of God. We're called to be sons and then heirs. But it's very obvious we've got to learn to walk in the spirit in order to do that. Walking in the spirit changes us and brings us to sonship, brings us to a place of maturity. So walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, we've got to get this. So again, let me just kind of just kind of conclude by saying some of the things that we've been talking about. Part of walking in the spirit is learning to set our minds on the things of the spirit and not on things of the flesh. As long as we are setting our minds on the things of the flesh, we're going to walk according to the flesh. We also have to realize that we can walk according to the spirit because God has placed his spirit inside of us, hasn't he? And, 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 and that's, that, that's, that's essential. And then we've also got to realize that part of walking in the spirit is learning to say no to the flesh. And that is a decision we have to make. And it's something we have to practice on a daily basis to deny ourselves or to let the flesh die. It seems hard at the beginning, but it's something that there's grace for. God wants us to learn to walk in the spirit. And then as we walk in the spirit, we start being led by the spirit. And, you know, he's preparing us for the great inheritance that he's given us. Okay, so we've talked a whole, we've talked about a lot of things so far in Romans. We start off the gift of justification. We talked about reigning in grace. We talked about sanctification. We've talked about now walking in the spirit and now being heirs. And, uh, and of course, walking in the spirit and being led by the spirit is essential for us to begin to experience all these things. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you just for your just for your wonderful plan of salvation. In fact, Lord, not only did you just save us from the wrath and eternal um, damnation, but Lord, much more than that, Lord, you have risen you've raised us up to share in your inheritance, to be able to to share in your glory. And of course, one of the things we see, Lord, is that we've got to learn to walk in your spirit and be led by your spirit. Lord, teach us these things. Thank you, Lord. Amen.